welcome to Taxpayer Talk. In today's episode of our MPs in Depth series, I sit down with ACT Party List MP Mark Cameron. Mark is the party's spokesperson for primary industries, uh, regional economic development and biosecurity. Now, as we record this, we're sitting in the ACT Party's parliamentary offices in Wellington. Uh, but is it tomorrow night that you'll be heading back to your dairy farm in rural one? That is absolutely correct, yes. Tell us about that commute. Oh, look, it's 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 fairly lengthy, but um, oh, look, Lockwood Smith did it, and so can I. And, um, oh, look, I get off the plane usually somewhere in the vicinity of about 8 o'clock, and I'm home by about 10. So it's it's part of what I do. And, um, look, in the, in the broad scheme of things, it's not overly onerous, so it's, it's part of the job. Can you tell us a little bit about your farm, her size, breed? Sure. Look, I've got I've got um, what we call Cascade Friesians, so real black and whites. I've got three hundred of them. Uh, I milk typically twice a day, so I'm a seasonal spring carver. And, um, and when I'm not there, my good lady's doing all of it on on, on her own. So here's here for women in rural New Zealand. I think it's an absolute champion of, of that cause. But yeah, look, we we are seasonal carvers, so I've been on that farm for four years. But in te- general terms, I've been farming for 30. Mm. It must be like two different worlds. Uh, I'm just thinking about that commute and that, that transition. Do you experience a kind of culture clash? <laughs> I look, they're diametrically opposite, but it's that you that I say it out loud. I'm actually here representing farmers and, and their interests. So, yes, the, the, the clothing is different, but the language in many senses is really the same. We've got a, a lot of problems in rural New Zealand, so I live it on in half my week, and the other half of my week I'm actively engaged in the dialogue to try and sort of arrest some of the what I think is poor public policy making. Mm. So you're not just in Wellington and rural way, um, you are travelling the country. I saw you were at the Southland. Correct. Correct. And when you have conversations with farmers, what is the tenor or the, or the tone or feeling towards the current government at the moment? Oh, look, there's a lot of angst, a lot of unknowns. Um, notwithstanding, I think many farmers would wager and, and, and agree, look, the government is endeavouring to do the right thing, that I say that. And, and as the farmers say, they're going about it the wrong way. And um, there's got to be more open conversations about costs, alternative methodologies, and farmers are acutely aware. I mean, we, we are typically the best stewards of our own land, and I don't think this government actually acknowledges, and farmers would agree with that statement. They're saying, hey, look, we've got on-farm methodologies and practices in place. We utilise them anyway. Can you um, run through some of those? Yeah, sure. Look, we've, we've got ECAN's a classic example. Um, they've, they've had organic farm plants which acknowledge the various soil types, so, um, regional rainfall, aggregate topography, and different parts of Canterbury alone. So um, the, the Minister of the Environment has made assertions look, that would ultimately scrap all that. Farms are saying that's egregious, notwithstanding that councils then go, well, we don't know how to apply this as a generic when so much of it's already been done. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of interest from farmers and uptake of new technologies such as uh, methane inhibitors? Yes, absolutely. Look, that that's conversation is growing. We we know that we've got to have smart innovation, and and, and, and to be quite candid with you, that's been clipped. You know, there, there 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 is technologies offshore, and it's it's not so much that it's actually banned here; it's so heavily regulated that to actually to go down the path of innovation 
is so damnably expensive. So, look, if you're actually going to pursue the conversation, you have to look at it in the sum of all parts. And that is, is that we do have we do have tools to mitigate climate uh, change um, and our emissions, mm-hmm. but a lot of those technologies are locked offshore, and we've got to potentially open that up. Well, I was going to ask you about um, whether you think there is a case for funding of uh, methane inhibitors or even riparian zones, greater funding for that. Uh, are you suggesting that in some areas simply just reducing the regulatory burden could allow progress? Yeah, we're not big on spending a lot of uh, the taxpayers' money, but they're the absolutely right. The regulations are the problem. So we're pursuing a narrative of innovation, and the simple way to do that is actually get a lot of the regulatory framework out of the way. New Zealanders are typically innovative. We're at the bottom of the world, and we didn't become such a farming success story. Uh, um, and, well, I say we became a success story because of it, because of our geographical isolation, and, and really we had to innovate. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the, the political situation, we've just had – well, recently had a Labour Party elected with an absolute majority. Sure. And despite that, I, I have noticed this angst that you talk about when I look through farming community pages and so on. Is there a, a disconnect between uh, urban concerns and rural concerns? Um, yes, I believe so. And the farmers I speak to, and I speak to a lot of them, believe so as well. I think that there is a, a coming of age where we, there needs to be an injection of honest dialogue, and there hasn't been. Uh, farmers are damnably good at what they do, and I celebrate that every day. I, I am one, and I love what I do, and I know I look over the farm fence, and it's more about the guy next door who equally does. So if you look at it in the media landscape, you know, farmers were typically viewed as, as the harbingers of environmental doom. That's not the case. There, there are ways that we can arrest that dialogue. And it's quite sad. If you, if you look what goes on in Europe, there's sort of about eight lines of separation between farmer and food. And, you know, New Zealand isn't in that space yet. But if we don't have the shared narrative of how damnably good we are, we risk actually turning one part of society and pipping it against another. In Europe, they have um, those incredible farmers' protests uh, where they block they block highways and dump um, dump cow crap on the streets. Yeah. What would it take for that to happen in New Zealand? I, I, I'd kind of hope it didn't. And I mean, the long and the short of it, it's a counter narrative because what you invariably do is you marginalise our, our urban cousins. We've actually got to bring the sum of all parts back together, celebrate the wins as New Zealanders, and I think that's the way to proceed with us. Yep. And farmers have got the tools. We've just got to get the government out of the way in a lot of it and actually celebrate innovation. Farmers are willing to do it. Environmental concerns aside, what are the major compliance costs on a dairy farm like yours? Oh, look, you've, you've got a myriad of things. Council, council constraints. Um, I'm a Fonterra supplier. So a lot of, yeah, you can't decouple it. It's, it's, it's a hard question to actually answer without decoupling it into individual parts. And they're always joined. So you've got council that has to work with, you know, as I say, a Fonterra supplier. You've got, you've got market, uh, um, incentivization. You know, you've got to be clear and transparent about the things that we are doing on farm. You've got animal welfare issues that, and that, you know, that landscape is constantly changing. Farmers are being asked to innovate. Yes. Practices are changing. Um, it's not so much a constraint. It's just, it's this constantly evolving, yeah. moving, um, process. The methodology is changing. Health and safety. 
Health and safety is a big thing. I, I, I'm fortunate that, fortunate, unfortunate, whichever way you want to frame it, that I actually don't need staff. I sometimes wish I had staff. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are concerns. And, and yeah, like I've had staff in, in the past before with health and safety has been paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about, I believe there is it significant natural areas, SNAs? Yes. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not probably the qualified guy to talk to. Um, it's, it would be our environmental spokesperson, but that farmers are coming up with, you know, that as being an egregious um, conversation on on behalf of where we think the government will take it. So just making sure I understand this correctly, this is a, a council. Um, yes, a, yes, a, yes. But and I mean, I think the thing is, and again, I reiterate, Simon Court's actually the guy, a better guy yeah. to talk to, and he knows significantly more than I. But the language, the angst at a farm gate level is saying, well, hey, if this is the case, and there's so many unknowns, how do you police it? What will it mean at, at a regional economic revenue? What it does at communities if this is actually enforced? Okay. Um, water reforms and nitrogen limits. Yes. Um, I, I know a fair degree about it. Um, I've, I've had conversations with people on the Canterbury, and they're deeply aggrieved, and the Greater Canterbury catchment. They know that there's economic activity. It's going to be a massive downturn. That there's been all sorts of assertions of the numbers from people out of federated farmers and other, ECAN included, and they're deeply concerned. I mean, one chap made the assertion, hey, look, they should never have been there. Well, to be quite candid with that's an asinine remark. They are there. They are huge economic drivers. And um, again, it has to be, these water standards has to be reset regionally, regionally indicative. You've, you go from one side of Can- the, the Canterbury Plains to the other, you've got multiple soil types, different catchment reality. You even have different rainfalls. So is, is this taken into account um, badly or is it just not taken into account? It's not been currently taken into account. So you've got this umbrella way of regulating it. Um, Mr Parker's assertions, of, of, if, if that's the way it goes, are going to do untold undamaged or damage, big pardon, to the economic regional activity. And, sorry, and this is the measure of nitrogen. Nitrogen, you know, there'll be there'll be other mitigating concerns that will be thrown in, and obviously yeah. there'll be phosphorus that will come in somewhere, somewhere in the future. There will be a myriad of things like sedimentation and okay. sowing dates for a for for a non farming audience, and, and I'm part of that. Um, I, I was researching this, and I was astounded to learn that there are dates beyond which uh, thou shalt not sow your winter crops. For example, yes, sir. Is this new? Uh, The the, the rationale is is new in itself. Um, The practice of of winter grazing and winter cropping has been around for a long time. There are laggards in any industry, and the industry has overwhelmingly weeded them out. Farmers have managed to mitigate a lot of this the problem around. Um, anyway, so what, what is the problem with that? Well, there's, there's a myriad of things. There's animal welfare issues that some people have pointed to. There's also sedimentation and others, uh, other aspects they're getting into, natural watercourses. The sowing date reality that you've just touched on then, I mean, that's, that, is a, that is absolutely asinine. So and a, a date is correct. 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 And I'll, I'll sort of fill in the blanks for you. Um, we, we've got minimum soil temperature germination um, thresholds, and uh, I don't suffer from this in Northland, but down the bottom there, that's sort of about 11 degrees. And if, if crops aren't sown past it, you know, are, are restricted when they can be sown, 
And the fluid, the fluid nature of farming, the seasonal variations, not take withstanding. These guys are not even going to get some of this heavy gear on. So, who, who decides what date is the limit? Oh, uh, look, you'd have to ask the ministers that. But has he, has he got the world's uh, greatest? I think I think the poor chap's bewildered. It, it, it's just not going to work. Yeah. It's absolutely not going to work. And farmers not. They're it, acutely aware of it. That sounds just like the the ultimate example of economic central planning. Uh, you would require an extraordinary level of knowledge in order to be able to decide what is the best date beyond which you may not sow a crop on a given farm. Um, I'll, I'll add to that. And I think the, the problem there is, is is that every season is different. Every region, you know, I mean, you can split south in probably four parts. And, and again, it's, it's regionally specific. Notwithstanding, if you actually look at it and, and it's – the temerity of the government is just crazy with this one for me. I, I've, I couldn't do that in Northland, notwithstanding I don't have snow up there and I don't have the minimum constraints of soil temperature to have this stuff germinated, say, by the 1st of October in Otago. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the Crown Pastoral Land Reform Bill? Yeah, look, um, I think that's just the, the current reality is that's going to create a dual carriageway of consent. Um there was assertions made in the public sphere that, hey, look, there's, there's not many farmers involved with this, but their communities, their families, their local body school, they're the PTA, and a lot of these people are multi-generational, have been there for decades. They are, as and I've always made the assertion, the best stewards of the land. Under the current process, if that review process was to be quashed in its current for- format, you know, we, we could talk about something like wilding pints. The government's off on this vitriol of let's spend all this money removing wilding pints. Well, the farmers are actually doing it. Yeah. And if it goes back into conservation land, there's a plethora of things that are potential um, undoing uh, undoings of all the good work that farmers have actually done and are continuing to do. So whether it's um, pre- pre- preserving, you know, important ecological areas. Well, why are they doing this? Is there a commercial incentive for them to undertake this activity? I don't believe there's a commercial incentive. I really don't. I mean, if you look at the Mackenzie country, 60% of it's already locked up in conservation land anyway. Um, I actually think it, it, it may be a pet project of, of a particular minister or ex-minister. I don't think it's wise. And I, w- I was wondering if the, sorry, the, if the farmers have a commercial incentive to... Oh, the, fa- the, 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 the no. The farmers generally just want to carry, for, carry on forthwith. They've invested, you know, in, in, in many senses multi-generationally hundreds of millions of dollars into regional activity and it you know it has a flow-on effect mm-hmm. there is there's on-farm methodologies that have actually increased the carbon retention of the soil they've got they've spent millions of dollars over years on, on, on good partial plantation um you know there's regional activity out of this that will all get uh quashed mm-hmm. do you consider yourself an environmentalist yes absolutely I live on the land. It's 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 incumbent upon me to do the right thing by my own farm. And and your, your colleague Simon Court calls himself a radical. <laughs> well, I'll leave that for him to make that assertion. I'm not going to make that decision <laughs> about him. On well, you know, while he's not here. But um, yeah, look, I absolutely am. I you know, I fence off my waterways. But then the sad story is, is quite often these stories, these these. These anecdotes aren't shared publicly. I do it for a lot of reasons. One, I don't want to lose my own animals and, and creeks, lakes, rivers and streams. And there's a, there, there, there's a secondary result of that. 
I get better water quality out of it. Then I, you know, then you get involved in beautification, riparian planting, native tree planting. I mean, I've got a section of my farm that is completely fenced off, and it's been that way since the 1890s. Now, you know, I've, I, I, I won't bore you with the details. I know a lot about the farm I'm on, mm. but it's been that way for over 100 years. Yep. And I celebrate that. And I know a lot of guys around New Zealand do the same. And I imagine with these, these types of capital investments and these environmental improvements, when a farm is inherited, uh, that is seen as something to build upon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the one word that resonates loudly with me is pride. New Zealand farmers are typically very proud of what they do. And um, we see at every turn, you know, you talk about investment, but it's it's not just about the money. We do it because we love it. And, and damn it all, why, why don't we celebrate how damn good we are? We, we, you know, there's a huge pride factor to this. And um, at every turn, we're sort of lo- losing our cultural identity as rural New Zealanders. Mm-hmm. We're here in the ACT Party offices. Mm-hmm. Why not the National Party? Um, the National Party wasn't listening. They haven't been listening for a long time to rural New Zealanders, I don't believe. I, and I, I, I believe that in, in, with hand on heart. They haven't been. Um, they've been four sheets to the wind with a lot of this stuff. Um, I've had farmer colleagues say, well, where is the counter-narrative? Now, these conversations have been going on mm-hmm. for two and three election cycles. Well, that's simply not good enough. You know, farmers, and I am one, um, need fair and honest representation. A, a counter-narrative to perhaps... Um, the more an- animating conversations on the left side of the ledger have not been had, and where was national? The Climate Commissioner's recommendations, your quick reaction? Ha <laughs> ha, disappointing that when, when, when he made assertions that were comparative that we would go the way of the whalers. That's unnecessary. Um, it's we incredible. Need- yeah, we need to expand in dialogue, not contract. And, 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 you know, if you are making vacuous assertions like that and, and turning one part of society off against another, it's not helpful. Which MP uh, outside of the ACT Party would you like to see spend a day on your farm? Oh, <laughs> Damien O'Connor. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. The Taxpayers Talk podcast is made possible by the tens of thousands of New Zealanders who join or support the Taxpayers Union at taxpayers.org.nz. Constructive feedback is welcome via podcast at taxpayers.org.nz and don't forget to hit subscribe or even give us a five-star review on your podcast app. Thank you very much.